Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Welcome to the first official episode of Still Watching Loki. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Uh, If you are just joining us for the first time on Still Watching, what Richard and I love to do is pick a show that we're watching and hopefully other people are watching and talk about it week by week, break it down. Sometimes we talk to folks who worked on the show. Um, We've got a great, uh, we just finished our run on Mare of Easttown, which was really fun. Uh, So if you you haven't listened to those episodes, they still exist for you uh, in our feed. Um, We also had a preview episode last week where Anthony Bresnikin and I Broke down some stuff to think about in terms of Loki. We taught, we had a long conversation with head writer Michael Waldron. That's all up in your feed as well that you can listen to. Anthony will be joining me in the back half of this episode to talk about some sort of granular comic book stuff, which is what we like to do with the Marvel shows, right, Richard? We all hands on deck for a Marvel yeah. show, right? I come on and dribble cluelessly about <laughs> what I just watched. And then you and Anthony actually explain what we just watched. It's great. <laughs> You know, and sometimes there's an interview sandwich in between. This week we have Mr. Tom Hiddleston on to talk about his his long career playing Loki and and some of the things that have excited him about this version of of the character. Uh, so that is going to be fun. That will happen sort of halfway through this episode, and then and then we'll hear from Anthony. Um, we always love getting your emails. Uh, still watching pot at gmail dot com is how you can find us. We got a couple, like we got, we got a couple good emails this week, but like the folks haven't really started watching the episodes yet, so we expect that we'll be getting more. Um, as I mentioned in the preview episode, usually uh, we will be recording these after you all have seen the episode, so you have time to email us. Uh, in this case, and next week, we got the e- the the episodes a little early, so we are recording these early. But after that, we will be in lockstep with the rest of you. We might lose Richard to the time-space continuum at the end of the season, but we will struggle through and make it, and it will all be great. Um, but I'm excited. Richard, is there anything you want to say about like uh, the show in general, what you knew about Loki before you started, any big like questions you have about about the show or anything like that? Well, I mean, obviously, I knew him from the movies, and he was such a fun breakout character and actor. 
Uh, and you know, I'm always a little wary of when something, when something good in small doses is then, you know, made macro into like a a bigger thing. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a little of a little bit of Loki goes a long way, but I actually think that this, uh, this show figures out that, that balance, you know, um, and, and there's reason, you know, there's reason enough to have him as the lead of a show, you know, there's enough there in the performance and the writing and everything. So that worked well. Um, you know, it's fun. Like I, when I was a kid, we had these two big picture books: one of Greek myths and one of Norse myths. Um, mm-hmm. The layers was this. Yes. Book. Yeah. Yeah. The Norse one is blue, and the Greek one is yellow. Right. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, and Loki was always, you know, probably a lot of little kids who were like, "Oh, a trickster, mischievous, like that's my guy," you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was always sort of enamored of the idea of him, and I think that, uh, you know, this show because he's not the outright villain makes better use of that kind of playful amorality, you know, um, which I appreciate. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. I, I did not know that this was going to be sort of um, procedural almost like, mm. you know, this kind of buddy cop thing, but I'm not cop buddy investigator. I don't know how, how we're going to phrase that now, but you know, this kind of it's, it's following some old tropes, but um and grafting them onto the Marvel world, which is, you know, I think a fun way to to do things when you have all of these characters to play with. So we have Loki, um, as as this episode explains, sort of popped out of the timeline at the end of the Avengers film, uh, 2012's Avengers. So this is not the Loki that we've seen go on a you know journey of self discovery and and uh, reconciliation with his brother Thor through. The Dark World and Ragnarok and Infinity War and all of that sort of stuff. So, and you know, he died in Infinity War. So, uh, this is this is an earlier, less formed Loki. And something that that Michael Waldron said in our interview was that the idea that Loki had sort of um, the phrase he used, which I had never heard before, was arced out, meaning like run run the course of his arc. So they just because they can <laughs> reset the arc, <laughs> and here we are early on an earlier point in the arc for Loki, uh, where he still has some emotional developing to do, and um, and I'm excited. Uh, thankfully, they the I, I just want to shout out the wigs really quickly. Um, I love to talk about wigs. Loki has had some terrible hair in this series. He has kind of like a short little bob in the first one, but in Avengers, it is this like slicked back spiky outy at the neck sort of look and they really and then they later gave him like a longer curlier wig that works much better um they really skated the line between like where you pick him up in the avengers toss him in the desert tassel his hair up and then like it sort of gets progressively longer like i was just i was like good job guys you got him to the good hair very quickly and i appreciate that about you so um so you know Loki's already winning the wig game which is which is a hard game to win <laughs> that's, that's important <laughs> um all right, so let's start with let's start with the setting of this world. Um, Anthony and I talked about this a little bit on the on the preview episode, but the setting of this series is the TVA, the Time Variance Authority. What is your understanding, Richard, of what the Time Variance Authority is? So it's a spinoff of the T- Tennessee Valley Authority, right? Yes. From from the song. Um, <laughs> it's the Adjustment Bureau. Oh, maybe with fewer hats. With yes. fewer hats. Yes. More Owen wow. Wilson. Wow. Uh, you know, it's some cosmic, maybe uh, maybe it's a coalition of different species from across space, or maybe they kind of transcend that, or they, or I guess, you know, maybe they were created for this purpose, but um, 
you know, it's one. It's a fun kind of thing, which they, I feel like I've seen before, but it doesn't mean that it's like they're just repeating here. But like, there's kind of all this like older analog technology, like typewriters and stuff, mixing with obviously stuff way beyond our comprehension. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think that to you know, in the way that Marvel has done this in the past, where you're getting a lot, you know, for the uninitiated like myself, you're getting a lot of fantastical elements and big sort of cosmic ideas and names and places and all that and it can be a bit like alienating and um i think that to to ground it with like a kind of regular seeming character like owen wilson's character in this really helps kind of i don't know uh it's much more inviting i guess and so i think that's a very clever way to do it and and a really great use of owen wilson who you know has not done a ton of on-screen stuff of late and uh i think really is that a good stride in this yeah he had to be kind of convinced to do this um and i think because he's just not working like a ton right now and he's and uh, you know is maybe there are a few people who have been sort of like so do i want to do a marvel thing and that's understandable um but uh and something that it was interesting a couple Weeks ago, when we talked to Marvel casting director Sarah Finn uh, for one of our Falcon and the Winter Soldier episodes, she was saying that, like, I was like, oh, well, you know, Marvel's so popular now that everyone wants to be in a Marvel movie. And she's like, not quite. She was like, that wasn't true, actually, until WandaVision. She's like, when WandaVision hit the way that it did, and it's like, it's an awards conversation, all this sort of stuff like that. She's like, that actually opened the door wide, you know, to some things that had been previously closed. Now, Owen Wilson was already cast in this when that happened, but I was just sort of like, Oh, that's interesting that like I thought I thought once you get like Michael Douglas and Robert Redford and like all these other people on board, like you, no one's saying no to Marvel, but apparently they were and maybe now they're not. So that's that's, you know, we'll we'll see who they cast next. Yeah. I wonder what the big fish are going to be. You know, yeah. Is Denzel Washington going to pop up in one of these uh, things? Is Meryl Streep? I don't know. Oh, Meryl. I mean, Glenn Close has done it. Meryl can do it. Come exactly. On. Um, so, so yeah, so that's the TVA. Um, uh, we get some great, I mean, it's a, it's a, a lot of exposition in this episode. And some of the people that I talked to who watched this episode early, you know, like TV critics who are critical for a living, thought the pacing was a little slower than they expected. Um, someone used the word sluggish and I can cut the, my first time through, I was kind of like, oh, this is a little slower than I expected. And there's a lot of exposition lift that they have to do in this first episode. But once I started rewatching the episodes, and I'm embarrassed to say how many times I've rewatched them by now, um, it, I didn't have any pacing questions or issues. And I think the amount of exposition they do, either via Owen Wilson's character of um, Mobius or uh, the animated character Miss Minutes, <laughs> voiced by legendary uh, animation voice actress Tara Strong, um, that like that's just some clever fun stuff to to dump a bunch of sci-fi rules and regulations on our laps right yeah there's a ton they have to establish you know mm-hmm. and so the the introductory episode sure it it it's rem it's revving up for the bulk of the season um and it's not giving that kind of like big bang at the beginning that maybe people hope for um which you know could be proved a little bit tricky for disney because they are doing this week to week it's always fun to watch a world be built when it's done with kind of wit and invention and i know that all of these or most of these things existed in the comics before but it's new to me it's going to be new to a lot of people and it it feels like it feels like they have a good idea 
which is kind of what I, leading me to ask you about Michael Waldron, because he is the the creator of the show, the writer of, I think, many episodes, if not all. Um, and he's, what, 34? So he's <laughs> a lot yeah. older than us, you and I. Ancient. But he's yeah. still pretty young and like seems <laughs> to have kind of rocketed out of nowhere and is now doing uh, multiverse yeah. and doing star wars for feige you know right like so yeah. tell me a little bit about him because you wrote an article about him yeah we did we did a nice little feature on him last week and um yeah he's a rick and morty writer and like rick and morty is a show that i that i really love outside of its fandom which can be kind of toxic sometimes um but he so he's a dan Harmon guy and and feige um kevin feige uh, at marvel has proven that he really loves uh picking up Dan Harmon people. The Russos uh, were directors on the TV show Community. That's their Dan Harmon people. Jeff Loveness, who's writing the new Ant-Man film, is a is a Rick and Morty writer. Michael Waldron, Rick and Morty writer. Uh, Jessica Gao, I believe, who's running um, She-Hulk is Rick and Morty writer. Right. So, like, that's the vibe <laughs> that obviously Kevin Feige wants um, in, in his stuff going forward. And I think you can see a lot of the Rick and Morty DNA in this in terms of, like, Irreverent fun with sci-fi tropes. Don't get burdened by rules. Poke fun at your own rules. Have fun. That's sort of the vibe that's going on here. And Waldron, I mean, we've talked before about um, what it takes to work at Marvel, right? Like, um, as a creative, there have been some creatives where there's been some friction, like um, Edgar Wright left because he couldn't make the, exactly the Ant-Man that he wanted to make. Um because at this point in Marvel, you're sort of like a thread in a tapestry rather than, a, you know, an auteur. And um, I think Waldron, my understanding, talking to Dan Harmon and some other people who worked with him is that he is like, he's a team player. You have to be a team player at Marvel, right? So he's like a creative, inventive guy, good writer, and a team player. And all of those things are exactly sort of what it takes to get along at Marvel. So. That's what I would say. But yeah, 30, 34. And it's just one thing after another uh, going on for Michael Waldron. And he seems like I talked to him for several hours over Zoom, seems genuinely just like a nice, cool guy. Um, so that's that's all. That's all. You know, you'll love to yeah. see it. You'll love and, to see and it. And Kate Heron, who directed the episode, yes. um, is also a kind of new up and comer, I believe, from the UK. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's nice to see a kind of it's fun to see a, a sort of younger talent pool being brought into this world um hopefully not swallowed up by it you know they can <laughs> enter it have some fun and then do their own other things if they want uh, yeah. or if they want to stay they can stay kate directed some of sex education which is a great show i love that show um on netflix and um she uh, she she will be talking to us later in the season i'm really excited to talk to her but she gave a great interview to the empire magazine podcast uh where she talked about how she got the gig and basically like she was up against a like a, a lot more seasoned directors but she is just a huge loki fan and so she just wrote this massive pitch um <laughs> you know based almost entirely on her ardent love for loki but she's also just a huge you know and and i say this uh, i can call her this from inside the club like a huge nerd she's a buffy fan she's a lost fan she's a, like you know this is this is who she is is the, she's very comfortable in this world and the thing that we've discovered about these marvel shows is that you know in other shows you talk about showrunners creator sort of stuff like that with these marvel shows it's been these like sort of two handers where you've got a head writer in this case michael waldron and a director in this case kate heron like in wandavision it was jack schaefer and matt Shackman, right and so um 
And in this case, it's even more slightly complicated because Waldron like got popped out to go work on Doctor Strange while Loki was shooting. So Eric Martin, who's one of his writers, became sort of like the writer on set. Uh, but that's that's sort of the creative stew. And I think it's a really, really fun mix. And they've created something really like fresh and exciting. And I think another big part of that is that Waldron is not a comic book guy. And sometimes it takes a not comic book guy like looking at the story from outside the years and years and years of continuity to give us an entry point as welcoming as Loki is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You need to have the sort of fresh eyes on it. Um, And I think something I really appreciate about, you know, this first episode is that it has a real point of view. It feels, I mean, this is such a trite word to say in general, but especially about something from this huge corporate entity, but it feels sort of like a more artisanal than just kind of product, you know. There's a sort of care to its design, and um, uh, there's a wit and a and a level of kind of erudition in the script that, um, you know, I I'm I am waiting to hate them the next the, some Marvel thing because it's I mean like because it's going to happen at some point, but like they kind of keep for the most part finding ways to uh, make things accessible and new and uh clever uh that you know and i think a lot of that does have to do with that sort of outside talent you know because they they know what other people are in in the world want um versus just doing the like well this is what the comic books did and then we just have to kind of literalize that on screen right the other uh i agree i completely agree with you the other creative that i want to shout out is um kasrafarahani who is the production designer because the production design of the tva is just incredible like i never want like you know sometimes people send us like stuff that's like branded from a tv show or a film and i'm usually like okay and i have a ton of notepads from various shows but i'm dying for a tva notepad like i want that Mm -hmm. logo on the top of a notepad that i can that i can write on but um and and Waldron, you know, offered up a bunch of different inspirations for this show, but Mad Men is his favorite show. And he also referenced Catch Me If You Can, which I rewatched last week after he mentioned it, um, as as like, you know, if you think of Owen Wilson in the Tom Hanks role and Tom Hiddleston in the Leonardo DiCaprio role, this sort of like cat and mouse, uh, but but also vaguely like I think the word Tom Hiddleston uses avuncular relationship between Mobius and Loki, like, um, but, but that sixties vibe is obviously like something that's very interesting to Waldron uh, and very, very much on every frame uh, here. So there we go. So we got the TVA. We've got, we've got Mobius and Loki played by Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. Let's talk about who else is at the TVA. Um, We've got, uh, a judge named Renslayer, Ravana Renslayer, played by Gugu Mbathara. Um, you know, she only has really one scene in this episode, but w- what did you think of, of having her here? Well, she's always here? welcome. I like her yeah. in things, you know. Um, and uh, again, lending this sort of weary human element to this fantastical thing helps ground us. And, you know, she... Um, she plays well in that world, as does Wunmi Masaku, who uh, plays uh, one of these, the head kind of time cops. Uh, yeah, time cop, uh, a movie I also recently watched for the yeah. first time. Um, 
Uh, Hunter B-15 is her official character name. Okay. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, she's a great actor. She was on Lovecraft Country most recently and a Netflix horror movie called His House, okay. um, which she's fantastic in. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, it seems well populated so far. Eugene Cordero is in there. Um, and I, I, but, you know, you always wonder with these shows, like, they get these great actors, like, how much are they going to be used? So I'm curious to see who's going to emerge as, like, the main players in this uh, ensemble. I was uh, interested to see that Eugene Cordero and Tara Strong, who voiced Miss Minutes, Tara Strong, I should say, the reason she's a legendary voice actress is she's like, she did um, Harley Quinn. Like, that's her big, like, thing. But she's done a bunch of other stuff. Before but, Kaylee um, Cuoco took over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> before Kaylee and before uh, before Margot Robbie. Um, but, um, like, Wumi Masako and... Um, and Gugu being in the credits, I was prepared for. But Eugene Cadero's in the credits. I was like, "Are we going to see his character Casey like a lot?" That would that would be interesting. And I and I think this show also owes some favors to the Good Place um, for this sort of like admin afterlife vibe that they're going for here. Which is not, you know, there's no shame in that. That's a good thing to borrow from. Um, but thinking of uh, Eugene Cordero, who a lot of us got to know from the Good Place, um, it's fun to see him here. So. So we Loki grabs the Tesseract. We see the that scene from Endgame where he leaves, and it's you know of course it's fun that these Marvel shows get to like port in scenes. So you get Anthony Hopkins and Robert Downey Jr. showing up in your the premiere of your TV show. Not too shabby, right? Um, he ports out of there with the Tesseract. Uh, he lands in the Gobi Desert, quickly apprehended, brought into the TVA, put through all these hoops. Um, all this exposition dumped on him. Great reaction comedy from Tom Hiddleston. Um, and then he has his trial, and then he has this conversation with Mobius. But I think sort of the most interesting thing, and we'll we'll circle back on some of that stuff. But the most interesting thing that happens is when he escapes yet again, is running around the TVA, and he finds this drawer full of Infinity Stones that are just treated as like nothing as paperweights. And one of the questions Michael Waldron said that you know, they were grappling with was like, it's sort of like, how do you, how do you keep something interesting after Thanos? <laughs> like after Thanos, mm-hmm. which is so big, how do you make a, you know, monster of the week or whatever sort of story interesting? And the way you do it is to make it so to make what Thanos was chasing after with all his might for, you know, an entire film, uh, nothing, a plaything uh, yeah. to these people. It's the it's the alien playing with the marble at the yeah. end of Men in Black. You know, Correct. it's just kind of like there's yeah. always something bigger, um, which is one of the great kind of bottling mysteries of the universe. We only know, you know, I'm in my house and outside the street and then the city, then the country, the, the state, the country, you know, is there anything other than outside the universe, you know, um, and to then kind of zoom out and be like, oh, just those paperweight things like, sure, whatever. Like, like it, it you I mean, it has a kind of dual purpose where it's funny and puts us in a, a new context but also like is a huge like existential crisis moment for loki um because he's like wait but what i i'm actually kind of minor <laughs> in in the order of the universe that that's not how he's used to thinking of himself right he's a god and then he's like oh no i thought you know he was he was treating the t- tesseract as, as if it were this precious item tesseract also infinity stone um but like it's nothing to these people they don't care and I thought that was so smart, like such a clever um, moment, uh, stakes setting moment, I guess, of everything. Um, and then uh, 
let's talk about the 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 rules of the of the time variance authority and sort of what so there's this sacred timeline that the, that these three shadowy figures the timekeepers at some point in the distant future have decided uh is is the correct timeline to keep things tidy to keep multiverses from going to war with each other and they will prune any branching timeline in order to make sure that sacred timeline stays uh stays solid and you see this great visualization of it um you get this visualization of it in the field like when a branch is a, is approaching the red line and there's a time and we set off these these uh reset charges i think they're called in the comics i think they're called ret cannons which is funny but like they're mm-hmm. called uh reset charges here uh and and basically everything that happened in that branching timeline gets obliterated and reset um does that does all of that stuff make sense to you does it feel like gobbledygook in any way or does it feel just like really clear well, I mean, questions of like time travel always have these paradoxes attached yeah. to them, you know, and I think the big one for me right now is like, okay, so if Loki jumps out of the 2012 Avengers timeline, yeah, does that, how does that not then negate everything that happened after that, you know? And I guess because it's time, they can just, once this is all done, they can kind of close the little loop and just put him back in, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess they can kind of get away with it that way because this is happening out of time as well as in time. Um, so, you know, there's some head scratchy stuff in there, but, um, I think the show is both explaining enough and also leaving enough ambiguous that you kind of are fine with it. I mean, what I'd be curious about is whether these three all powerful beings, um, how sinister or benevolent Mm -hmm. they're going to kind of ultimately be made to seem and maybe who's playing them if they're going to show up corporally um because uh it's a sinister idea though it's also an idea that is the tenet of like a lot of major religions in the world you know that like there is a master plan that it's all sort of being preordained in some ways and where does free will come in and all that um so i would kind of think that given this world's this universe is the marvel universe's take on some of those questions about power and whatnot uh, that they will definitely be wrestling with that while also maintaining this kind of closer story about Loki. Yeah. It's interesting um, the, that this idea of predetermined uh, fate, right? That the timekeepers have decided what the sacred timeline is. Um, I do, I do still have questions about it and I'm hoping, I'm hoping like, Oh, Please send us an email, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com if you have a firmer grasp of whether or not, like, if there's a branch, because there's these other, these very, like, Loki's not the only Loki variant, right? They call him a variant. So my understanding is in stepping out of the timeline there, he's created a branching reality, but, like, the main reality still happens. And it, Oh, right, because it's multiverse. So it's a multiverse. Multiple things can happen at once, yeah. right? So there's two lo- there's two Lokis that look like Tom Hiddleston now, right? There's the one that goes through and does all the Ragnarok, and then there's this one. Even though and, the Loki in 2012 did seem to disappear. I know. I I I hear you. <laughs> but that's like also a timeline loop, right? Because like the Avengers went back in time. Uh so I I don't know. Right. Maybe 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 I'm wrong about this. And if you guys have better answers, still watching pod at gmail.com. I do know that that the that the Loki writers room were very concerned that these branching timelines make sense. Right. Um, because I think they fudged it a bit in Avengers Endgame when Steve Rogers just sort of like, yeah, 
went back in time and we didn't really <laughs> talk about all the ramifications of that. Um, but and, also, and, the, yeah. do- as you mentioned, the Doctor Strange movie coming up written by the same person mm-hmm. is called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So I don't think we're going to get <laughs> a closed kind of, you know, tidy little ending to this because it's probably right. going to keep barreling on into the next phase of all this stuff. And they even say, they even use the word madness um, when describing in, in this sort of like Miss Minutes exposition. I think she says something about like the timekeepers did this. Uh, she said, oh yeah. So when someone steps off the timeline, a variant, they create a nexus event, which if left unchecked could branch into madness. So multiverse of madness, get excited. Nexus event is something we talked about in WandaVision. Um, a nexus being... Sorry to get so weedsy in this part of the podcast, but in, uh, do you remember that there was like this one of the commercials yeah. in WandaVision was about like a, you know, an antidepressant called Nexus or something like that. And yeah. um, and that Wanda is a Nexus being, which means like she exists the same across all branching realities. She's still always Wanda, whereas like Loki might look different in different branching realities. Um, so, yeah, that's another way it could connect to Doctor Strange potentially. Let's talk. So, so, so the reason that Mobius is interested in this Loki variant is because he's tracking another Loki variant, a very dangerous one who is hopping around time, stabbing <laughs> the timekeeper, the, 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 not the timekeepers, the minute, they're called Minutemen, the hunters, right? Stabbing them and stealing their reset charges. So we see this crime scene in France, in this church in France, which, as you say, like procedural, like this feels like a classic sort of, crime scene moment <laughs> out of out of a out of a different show uh with with uh mobius playing the the head detective and it feels like the pilot episode for the recruit you know the recruitment the new person so we explain all this stuff and then like okay now we're off to solve cases you know like it again it's familiar but like it's a it's a tried and true setup because it's a reliable one you know and it can be fun um especially when it's so far removed from all of the actual real world problems about law enforcement and all that yeah. Um someone someone uh, I saw someone reference Mindhunter as like something that they thought of when they watched this and I was like that's a bit overblown and then I thought about it and I was like well you know the the premise of Mindhunter is that they're they're interviewing these various serial killers to try to understand and catch other serial killers, right? And the ending of Catch Me If You Can Leonardo DiCaprio's character Frank Abagnale Jr gets brought into the FBI to catch other forgers. He's the expert forger who can catch forgers for them. So, like, they're bringing Loki in as the Loki expert to catch another Loki is the premise of the show, uh, which I think is really smart, really fun. Yeah. Um, Especially if it's a show about, like, identity and who you are. Um, Loki is confronted with all this footage from these other Loki movies. You see him in Ragnarok. He sees his own future journey, uh, his own development, he has a real crisis of identity while he's watching that. Like, who am I? I like, who who am I that I can see a future where I'm in this beautiful place with my brother? Like, who am I? And then, how? Like, what better to answer that question than to show him a mirror of himself in another variant? You know, which I think is really right. fun. And that, I mean, that's that. Like, the show wants to be as much about that emotional psychoanalyst sort of stuff as it does about 
fun sci-fi time hopping. Um, all right, so let me bring let, let me bring up a show that you recently got into that I really want to talk to you about in terms of how it relates to this show, which is Richard Lawson. You're watching Doctor Who for the first time, I think. Yes, the uh, person I live with <laughs> is, is, a, is a big fan of that show, and he kind of I love this dove back into the the. the I don't know what it was. It wasn't a reboot exactly, but with the Eccleston, you know, the Russell yeah. T Davies. They call iteration. it New Who. New Who. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, I'll I'll I I've it's long been a big cultural blind spot for me, often referenced by many people I know and uh and so yeah, it it's it it's a much kind of a it's a much much more engaging show than I thought it would be. You know, mm-hmm. it, it has a sort of melancholy about time travel and about this character who is just kind of endless and um, has been everywhere, seen everything, been every time, you know, and there's a weariness there that I, I didn't, I wasn't expecting. And Billy Piper, who, you know, has gone on to become a really, I mean, she's great in the show, but like a very like well-established, respected actor here in the UK. Um, so I like the vibe that Loki is giving off so far where it's that same kind of like sardonic, you know, omnipotent or, you know, omniscient anyway, being in Owen Wilson's character telling recruiting someone new to like not travel with in the way that Doctor Who does but like to explore and solve and and I I like that setup and I think it's a it's uh it's like Star Trek but you know but also but messier and sort of scrappier and more individual um so yeah they, I I would have to imagine that there are some conscious parallels being drawn there between those two shows between Loki and and Doctor Who I think the constant elevator travel in this uh, is, you know, it's a little Bill and Ted, but I think it's also a little Doctor Who. And yeah, absolutely. I think Doctor Who is 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 a vibe here. I have to imagine that Kate Heron, being a, a British nerd, is a is a Doctor Who aficionado. Um, I'm a huge like the new Who, which is starts with a Christopher Christopher Eccleston, who's the ninth actor to play the Doctor, is the Russell T Davies seasons, which is just. Eccleston and and David Tennant are among my favorite of television ever, and I rewatch them all the time. Um, I think it's, you know, it, it, some episodes are way better than others, but like when it's good, it's just like some of the best sci-fi TV you've ever seen in your life. And then, you know, and then I, it's sort of hit and miss for me when Stephen Moffat and Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi and other people take over. But but that is that is the shining era for me, and and I do see a lot of its DNA all over this. Um, something that Neil Gaiman once said when I. <laughs> went to a convention and watched Neil Gaiman talked about Doctor Who because that's who I am. Um, is that you know it's just it, that Doctor Who is the simplest thing to explain because it's it, essentially a children's show. It's the simplest thing in the world to explain to a new person. You don't have to have seen decades and decades and decades of Doctor Who. You can just say like, "Here's a man and his box. It travels through time and space, and he's here to help." Like that's it. Madman in a box. It's a really simple premise, but has so many permutations, and um, but doesn't get bogged down in you needing to know a lot. And I think Loki is is aiming for a similar thing, where like if you've seen Loki in the MCU, great. But like WandaVision, if you're coming in kind of fresh, I think you can just hop on board Loki and have a good time. So that's that's great news. Um, one thing I want to make sure that we hit before we go uh, here in sort of the like. For the newcomer section, uh, is the is the DB Cooper moment? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did you What did you think of that, Richard? I thought it was fun. I mean, I yeah. don't know. I, obviously, Waldron being a fan of of uh, Mad Men, yeah, there was a long fan theory that that uh, 
Don Draper slash Dick Whitman, right? Yeah. Uh, was D.B. Cooper. Um, obviously he wasn't. Um, but, uh, so that's a fun little thing about like, okay, TVA, you guys travel through time, but I sort of have been around doing shit too. Uh, and I hope that there's more of those little, like, what else was Loki up to, you know, throughout his long life? If you're unsure about D.B. Cooper, there's a, there is a documentary, an HBO film, uh, that came out last year about D.B. Cooper. Also, our colleague Julie Miller has a great write-up on VF.com, uh, titled Nearly 50 Years Later, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper Remains an Obsession. But basically, this is a guy who robbed an airline and then Sky, like, guy dove out of the plane and was never found so it remains a mystery this is an opportunity that loki has to like play with some of these like unsolved mysteries and urban legends and whatever of of history it can go anywhere uh in time and that's always fun i love time travel shows like two of my favorite shows growing up were like highlander and quantum leap like i'm a big let's hop around time uh tv show fan so this is very much up my alley. And the fact that it is coupled with this sort of um, identity crisis story, which is very Mad Men, right? Because like Don Draper slash Dick Whitman, like a big question for him is, who am I? Can I remake myself a man? What kind of man is that? Uh, all tied up in this idea of like packaging uh, in, in you know, the advertising industry. So that's that's a really uh, interesting kernel for, for this story. Um so I'm excited. Like this is just so up my alley. Uh, I'm thrilled. Anything else we want to we want to hit on before we go? Uh, talk to Tom Hiddleston, Richard. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I I I think that, uh, you know, I, it was interesting that a little bit of pathos was introduced with like, what would it be like to see your own death? You know, yeah. Um, and to consider the fact that like, you know, how, how does anything matter? And I'll, you know, talking about the kind of melancholy in Doctor Who, like. I'll be curious to see where that little thread that's been sort of introduced here is woven throughout everything else, because there's obviously a lot of humor in this and, you know, adventure. But um, yeah, it, this episode, you know, while yes, maybe it, it's, a, it's a little exhibition heavy, um, it's it's setting up a lot of interesting plate spinning. And um, I feel excited about it uh, in a way that um, I, I felt, you know, excited about WandaVision. So um yeah, I'm happy that. I mean, it's crazy that these things have been released one, two, three in a row, you know, and not more meted out. But I guess that means that Marvel has a lot other stuff to come. More to come. Uh, I guess the last thing I want to talk about with you, because I did, I did talk to Tom Hiddleston about this, is this idea that like Loki in the comics is because he is, uh, you know, the show opens with that moment from Endgame where we see Loki turn into Captain America, right? And it's just a nice little reminder that like Loki's magic which is illusion based has a lot to do with his ability to like shapeshift you know so if we're having questions about identity this idea of like shapeshift magic of course is like a really interesting um idea and because in the comics loki can shapeshift or reincarnate and all this various stuff like he has been a kid in the comic there's the character called kid loki he's been a woman in the comics there's a character called lady loki all this sort of stuff he was a character called icol which is just loki backwards like there's all these various like permutations of who loki has been and because of that um because of that like gender age jumping um identity around loki and i think hiddleston said this even reaches back to some of the norse stuff loki is sort of like this pansexual queer character uh canonically 
for people and, uh, you know, for people, for all people, because it's canon. Um, and so I was just wondering, like, if you have any thoughts about Loki being in that position. Well, we'll see how thoroughly they get into it if they get into mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, there has obviously been some frustration with uh, other Disney properties that say, oh, there's a queer person in this right. or non by And then it's like well, they're in two scenes or one scene or, you yeah. know in the case of Corella, like introduced and sort of hinted at being non-binary or queer or whatever. And then they just become another functionary of the, you know, of the story. And, you know, so, yeah. Um, I, I hope it's, if it's going to be introduced, I hope it's done so thoroughly, you know, because um, otherwise I, I think sometimes trying to get praise for like a little bit of scrap thrown at people, uh, it's not worth the trouble. Totally. And I, and, you know, to be clear, the, the, the Loki creators are not saying, we can't wait for this exclusively queer moment that oh, you're going to yes, see no, in our show. Yeah. They're not promising anything, but this is an expectation or a hope, I think, that the fans have. Um, so, you know, we'll see. And and I think Tom Hiddleston gave a nice answer around this, um, you know, so so without promising anything. But I think if you're exploring the identity of someone who can gender, be gender fluid, and something we should say uh, someone noticed that in promo material for the show, there's a Loki's file. And under gender, it says fluid. So, you know, they're right. at least yeah. like mm-hmm. somewhat engaging with this, if maybe extremely lightly because it's Disney and Marvel. So we'll see. We'll keep and, our eye on it. And, and codifying that term in yeah. in the Marvel universe, which I think yeah. it's a small thing, but it, it, it means that they're establishing it as like a, as a, at least these time people or time entities <laughs> are, are right. conscious of, of those variances. So, I guess I know I said that was the last thing, but one last thing really quickly for you, Richard, which is that, uh, there's there's some stuff we can't talk about because we've seen episode two, you know. Yeah. But but we should say that you know they are laying out a mystery here. We're we're hunting someone. We've got a crime scene in France. We've got a crime scene in Oklahoma, uh, at various points in time. You know, there's clues being dropped. Once again, it's hard for us to talk about since we've seen the next episode. But uh, I don't know. Is there anything you want to say about? I mean, is this a theory show? That's a question. Do you know what I mean? We had a oh. lot of f- fun with weird theories around Wandavision. Like, does it feel like a theory show? I think so. I mean, I did see some, again, I don't remember if it was you, I probably was, uh, about how they're really going to try to have this be like contained episodes so people can be like, oh, that episode of Loki versus right. just kind of experiencing it as like a serialized movie or whatever. Right. Um, so I think things that if, if things are introduced and resolved by the end of the episode, there probably will 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 lend itself a little bit less to theorizing. But I again, with the the, the Time Lords or whatever, like, like that stuff, th- that might be the overarching theory stuff. And then each discrete episode will have a kind of conclusion, which I, I like. That's a good model to follow, I think. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let us get into um, our interview with the great Tom Middleton. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness really, I found transformative. Or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, 
what if a sea creature comes to eat me? But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. That's how it works. Yeah. Join me, Valai Arakoplu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, Joanna. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Is it morning? Is it morning where you are? Is it afternoon? Is it? It is morning. It's uh, nine in the morning here. So, so not too, uh, not too un, un, unearthly. No, no, no. We are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed over here. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to start by asking you something that I asked uh, your head writer as well, which was, you know, what you consider in the films what you consider the most important Loki moment that will help people understand Loki in this show? Sorry for the long pause. It's just such a good question. And now I'm kind of cycling through the, this, there are so many. You mean for me personally or for, or for the beginning of the series? For you personally, I think maybe just to who you think, what's a foundational Loki moment? Is it, is it the Odin confrontation in the first Thor film? Is it, you know... I was going to say that. Yes. It, yeah. It's, it's, um, for me, it was the, uh, a doorway into the character's vulnerability, which sits underneath all the other many layers that the character has. Um, it, as a shapeshifter, he's somebody who wears so many masks and has such a, uh, mercurial dexterity that he can present many different faces he can be charming and charismatic and um playful he can be quite threatening and manipulative he has very um very useful powers of persuasion he can be physically imposing uh he can be warm and um inviting but but underneath it is is i think a very uh a fractured sense of self um a confusion about who he really is and a sense of being um, a, perhaps a sense of not quite belonging. Uh, and that becomes, you know, for me, it became a real cornerstone in the characterization that could take him off in lots of different directions, but perhaps the audience had been allowed to see Loki's vulnerability. Um, and so, yeah, it, my eternal thanks to Don Payne, who wrote that first film um, and, and Kenneth Branagh, and Anthony Hopkins are all part of it, hugely uh, part of that moment. Um, and then as, as what, in terms of connecting with Michael Waldron, we talked about it a lot as, as if that moment is, it raises the question within Loki's mind, who am I? In fact, if my memory serves, he turns around and says to Odin, what am I? And those questions are, are, are questions we're still answering 10 years later in the series. One, you know, one of our best ways of understanding who Loki is, is as a reflection of Thor through his relationship with Thor, right? This, this brotherly dynamic, this love relationship, that there are differences, there are similarities. Um, what is it like for you to approach a story without Thor there as a, as a reflection of your character? Um, but first of all, apologies if you can hear a very uh, active fly i can't but i'm so sorry <laughs> oh i see it i do see it though <laughs> okay. so it's just sort of you know in case there's a slightly awkward buzzing uh in in your in your headphones anyway you're, you're a welcome addition to the interview sir but, but 
perhaps we can make yourself scarce. Um, uh, great question. Um, I mean, I, I, we, Chris and I defined Thor and Loki at the same time for the first time together. And there were these two brothers who were almost in, were polar opposites and defined by that opposition. We talked about, I remember back in the day, we talked about Thor and his um, particular athleticism that he would use Mjolnir, the hammer, like a heavyweight boxer. And the, 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 the stunt department, amazing stunt department on that first film, kind of together we invented a fighting, a kind of choreographic style for Loki that if, if um, Thor was grounded and, and like a block of granite, Loki was like the wind kind of dancing around him. And that, that was some in the past, in the childhood, that they'd been a team, they'd been a good team. But this would be a really interesting way of exploring their kind of oppositional characteristics. And um, so I, for a long time, there was no Loki without Thor. And, and, and I think both characters emerged in that reflection. But what I loved as well is that I hope with paying respect to that relationship and that relationship stands alone and has its integrity, taking Loki out of a context, which is familiar, has been really interesting. Uh, Thor is nowhere to be seen. Asgard is very far away. There are no Avengers near at hand. He's even stripped of his status and his power. And then it becomes an interesting question of what is left. If you strip Loki of all the things that are familiar to him, uh, what remains? Um, uh, and that's for him to discover as much as the audience. I was going to ask you about that because, yeah, you know, he, he loses he loses the costume we're familiar with, the, the daggers. He can't do magic, uh, at least at the TVA, all of that. Um, and it reminded me a lot of what they did for for Chris as Thor and Ragnarok, right? They strip all this stuff away. And so then you get to really explore what is at the core of this character without those trappings, right? That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. I've, um, interesting comparison. But at least he had Loki and Hulk there, and you are—you are, I think, the most isolated a Marvel character has been in his own adventure going possibly. forward. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's very possible. I'd have to do a deep dive, and you know, uh, isolated characters in the MCU uh, discuss, um, <laughs> uh, and certainly in Ragnarok, I think for Chris it was a really exciting avenue to explore. Um, you know, it, we all remember what happened in that film: at the hammer, Mjolnir is destroyed. Very early on, he feels he doesn't know who he is without it. And he's away from home, away from Asgard and gets his hair cut. And, but what I loved, I actually found, I remember when I watched it for the first time, I was so delighted by this idea, which is that somehow Thor's power was something that resided within him and had been the whole time. But he'd externally kind of located it in these objects, but really it was something that was inside him. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, in a very colorful and spectacular movie. Well, thankfully Loki gets to keep his hair, so we're we're all grateful for that. Um, <laughs> I, I, want, I want to ask you about well, then stripped of these relationships, a foundational relationship for Loki in this series appears to be the mm. one that he's forging with Mobius, with Owen Wilson's character, yeah. and something that um, that Michael Waldron said to me is that a, a a primer sort of for some of the stuff in this show for him was the film. Catch Me If You Can, which is one of my favorite uh, films of all time. Mm. And there's this interesting 
almost father son but antagonistic dynamic between Tom Hanks's character and, and DiCaprio's character. And uh, I couldn't help but sort of think of that as I was watching these episodes we've seen. Um, how do you think of the Mobius-Loki relationship, at least in these early days? And, and does that comparison strike you? Wow. Um, how do I, well, I, lo- I love the relationship, first of all, between Mobius and Loki. And I, and I, the thing that was so new and fresh for me was that Mobius is a character who is emotionally detached from Loki's emotional turmoil and all the tricks that Loki tries to play and and they usually work on everybody else. Skills of of provocation or manipulation, it just don't land with Mobius. But he's also kind of delighted to be there and has an academic curiosity about having Loki in front of him. Um, and so Loki is on the back foot and has to rethink how to, to, to talk to Mobius and interact with him. But they're both very clever and both um, trying to outsmart each other and realize very, very early on that they need each other for different reasons. And that that's a feeling that's unusual. And that in needing each other, they might have to try to trust each other which is going to be very difficult. <laughs> um, uh, and um, and I, in a way, maybe it's because there's some similarity there. And I, th- I think what I loved in my conversation with Owen about this was that you know, Mobius is an analyst within the TVA. He has a particular job to do, but that he has a, a playfulness in him that's, that's perhaps a part of it, just a part of who he is that maybe is, is mirrored by Loki's playfulness um, and an independence of spirit, which perhaps Mobius isn't even aware of is different from the TVA's institutional identity. Um, so there's a kinship there, which, which it perhaps is interesting because they're not aware of it themselves, um, at least initially. And um, I, I remember Michael talking about Catch Me If You Can which I also agree with you is a, is a terrific film um, with great performances from, from those two. And I suppose it is a good, um, it's a good parallel because Tom Hanks has got to catch him in the end. Um, (laughs) There's a, there's a sort of, there's a sort of respect and a kind of uh, whether it's fatherly or avuncular, there's, there is this sort of, um, somehow some empathy in the, involved in the endeavor, which is, which is uh, touching and unusual. Speaking of that, that fatherly sort of avuncular mode, that, like that's, that's what I felt when you have this moment where Loki says, I'm very smart. And, and Moby says, I know you are. And that, that was such <laughs> like a, it's a funny, but it's also just a very healing, like healing moment because Loki has been trying so hard to get people, his father, whoever, to acknowledge his value. And here's someone who's just sort of like, oh, as a matter of course, like, yes, I know you're very smart. I know you have that. <laughs> I'm aware. It's you know? really, it's really um, destabilizing for Loki because no one's ever said that. Uh, and Loki finds himself in the presence of someone who is confronting him with who he is, who he might be, seemingly without judgment, without any any uh, any particular take or or um, castigation or or punishment. 
Um, and that's so unusual for, I think he's used to people punishing him and, um, and condemning him and judging him. And, and here is this very even tempered man agreeing with him. And it's really new. It's a really new feeling for Loki. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of, it challenges Loki's first instincts to be resistant. Like Loki's so provocative. He's so constantly resistant and, and Mobius is there saying, listen, there's nothing to resist. I, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I know. And I, I love that about the, the, the dynamic. Something I was, I was um, revisiting some of your old interviews and something that I thought was really interesting that you were talking about in the original Thor film, um, that there was some anxiety around, okay, we've done Iron Man. He's very grounded. Now we're going to go to space with and do Norse gods. That's what we're going to do. And there was some anxiety about, will this land with audiences and that sort of thing? We have seen time travel before in the MCU, but this is this is also a big swing in terms of here's the TVA, here's this big new sort of world-breaking, world-reframing idea. The Infinity Stones are marbles to these people, like all of that sort of stuff. Um, were did you did it spark a similar, uh, an old familiar feeling of here we go again, launching launching something new and exciting for the MCU? I was so excited by the idea because the TVA represent order and. Um, Loki represents chaos and order versus chaos is always a great place to start. Mm-hmm. And I thought this, I thought if we can kind of take Loki um, and have him behave in a way that only Loki would in such an environment, it just was, an, it, it afforded so many new opportunities for the story, um, which I found very exciting. There was a lot of head scratching we had to do at the same time about making sure we, we kind of we we um checked in with each other about the rules of the tva because when creating another world it has to have an integrity it has to have a kind of its own internal logic um but i have a huge trust in in marvel studios um uh there's you know the the, the, the great secret to my mind of of how they work over there is they have some highly intelligent people who work extremely hard. It was, you know, they were very aware of, of, of the, of the kind of the diligence and conscientiousness that they required. And, but also I, you know, I'd seen them work hard and, 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 and for the ideas to, to sing before. So perhaps I had um, a, a lot of trust in them. One one thing that I think is so interesting about Loki and, and what he means to a fandom is that um, in the comics, he has this sort of this gender fluid pansexual queer identity that is important to a lot of his comics fans. And I was just wondering what your feelings are around that aspect of Loki. I was uh, have always been um, aware of it mm-hmm. and um, and see it as my responsibility as as somebody who you know, is able to portray this character at this time that, um, that I honor, uh, the aspects of, of the character, which are there in, in the canon. Um, and it was important to, to Kate as well and, and important to Michael. And it seemed that I remember even, even back when I was first cast and 
I went back to the comics and all the publishing that Marvel have been, you know, they've been making for 60 years now. Is that right? About that. And, um, uh, and I was aware within the comics of this, of the extraordinary range within his identity um, and, and the fluidity in, in lots of areas. And then if you look at the, the history of the character in, you know, the, the, the collective consciousness in thought for hundreds and thousands of years, Loki has been a character that, that is very difficult to restrict or, 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 or limit. And he, um, there's, there's the whole point of Loki is that Loki is a trickster and crosses boundaries and can represent many different shapes. And I, and I think it was a really, um, I was really pleased that we got to to uh, to touch on that in this series. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. That's my absolute pleasure. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Okay, Anthony, I know you have not heard my conversation yet with Tom Hiddleston, but our listeners just oh. heard it. And I just want to let you know that a fly crashed our uh, conversation. Like A fly? A fly. Like, a- like Tom Hiddleston noted it. And he's like, there's a rather large fly here. And then he talked to the fly. That happened. And I left it in the edit because I thought it was funny. Can um, you hear the fly? You can't hear. I saw the fly because I was talking to him over Zoom. I couldn't hear it, but he was worried. Are you sure it's not an Ant-Man situation? Where Or is it Mephisto? Is it a cicada? I don't uh, know. Welcome back to Marvel Speculation cicada. Land. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 17-year swarm. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, first of uh, two Mephisto references I will make here. Um, obviously, mm. like if you foreshadowing, it, well, <laughs> Chekhov's if, gun. <laughs> if you haven't, if you hadn't listened to us talk about Wandavision, um, I will say that something like that happened when we talked about Wandavision uh, on this podcast many a month ago was that um, you know I got I got sort of amped up around theorizing. I'm not apologizing for it, and I'm not promising I won't do it this time because I think it's really fun. Um, but I just hope that we all like remember, given what we've seen so far from the shows, that's going to inform how I speculate in terms of like how big are we going to go? I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say, but like I'm probably not going to be like, well, and then the Fantastic Four are going to show up, sort of thing. So, um. So that's, you know, two feet on the ground. There was a stained glass window of a of a devil in this in this episode that mm. showed up in the trailer a long time ago and had people going Mephisto question mark. I don't think so, but you know, I just thought I'd flag it, uh, lest we get an e- email at still watching pot at gmail.com for not mentioning the devil in the window that we definitely saw. Um Anthony Resikin, welcome to Loki. <laughs> welcome. I definitely think they're teasing the demonic and the devil and the Mephisto quite a bit, but there not to be some eventual tale. 
Maybe. He also mentions a, a nightmare department, right, in this episode. And that was, yeah. Nightmare was another sort of guest we had for WandaVision. Um, yeah, so maybe it's all headed to some sort of hell dimension. We'll see. But um, right now, uh, I think we got to keep our eye on the prize, which is Loki. Um, so let's talk about, I wanted, I wanted to start by talking to you about um, this thing that, before we get to my big bananas theory that I have already concocted, I regret to tell you. I'll say that for the end. So let me start here. Big comma bananas or big bananas? <laughs> no <laughs> oversized <laughs> bananas. Um, <laughs> let, let's start with something that I, I did talk to Tom a little about, but I'm curious. What I think is interesting about the show is that it's doing f- for Loki what Thor Ragnarok did for Thor, which is remove all of his trapping, remove his magic, remove his costume that we're accustomed to, remove his daggers, remove Asgard's gone. Everyone, like, he's alone here in the show. He doesn't even have, like, a vision or a winter soldier. It's just Loki, you know, alone in in, in the show. Um, and strip him down to find out who is Loki without all those things. Something I think that's really interesting is that I was listening to an old Taika Waititi interview where he was talking mm-hmm. about how the prompt for Thor Ragnarok was strip Thor, you know, make a, give us a new Thor, a new take on Thor, right? Because Chris Hemsworth was tired of playing Shakespeare. He wanted to do comedy yeah. and, and give us a new, a new take on Hulk, which is we get like quasi intelligent Hulk in that. Right. And they were like, don't touch Loki. <laughs> the fans love Loki. Don't touch Loki. That's something that he said. Like he was allowed to play with whatever characters he wanted. Don't touch Loki. Uh, kill, kill the Warriors three, do whatever you want. Don't touch Loki. And then this show is like giving Tom the, the same sort of opportunity that they gave Chris in, in Ragnarok. Um, so what do what do you think of, of this opportunity for him? I think it's a great opportunity. It also places Loki in the challenging position of not being special, which I think is his, uh, borrow phrase from another comics universe, his kryptonite. You know, the notion that he was like a frost giant spawn rather than an actual Asgardian god, like, that gets to him. And he is very sensitive to being an outsider. So the notion that he is not only an outsider in the world he inhabits, but kind of a fringe figure on the Loki spectrum, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. how he keeps trying to assert that he's the Loki, the superior Loki. And when they start, uh, you know, pointing out to him, I mean, the night, the twist of this first episode is you're the person we're hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's kind of like imagine Hannibal Lecter if he were to find out that, uh, oh, there's another Hannibal Lecter out there. Like, I'm not so unique and special. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. That's a lot to wrestle with. Well, I mean, that is sort of the thing with, with Silence of the Lambs or Mindhunter or even the end of Cash Me If You Can, right? It's like it takes it takes this criminal mind to catch the criminal that we need, right? Yeah. Which is which is interesting. Yeah, but that lack of specialness, like that that leads me into like exactly what I want to talk about next, which is this idea of Loki's name. I was I was noting that when he goes on trial here in front of Judge Judge Renslayer, uh, she keeps saying Loki Laufison, right? Because mm-hmm. his his father his biological father is Laufey, the frost giant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Odin took him as a wee foundling from the frost giants and, and raised him as his own. Uh, so I was curious. Uh, it, uh, to me, it sort of sounded like um, 
I don't, I don't, I don't really want to make this comparison. I'm going to make it, but please know that I'm making it like super lightly. I'm not saying that this is what's happening here, but it's like, it's like misnaming someone who's like trans, like using a dead name for someone, like calling him Laufison felt like an attack versus calling him something else. So I was curious, like what he calls himself in the movie. And like, oftentimes he says Loki of Asgard, right? I am Loki of Asgard, burdened with glorious purpose. That's something he says here in this episode, something he says in the Avengers, stuff like that, right? Um, in uh, it's Odin who called him Laufison when he was punishing him in the dark world and banishing him to the prisons forever. He called him Laufison, and then in this one makes me sad. <laughs> in Infinity War, right before he dies at the hands of Thanos, he says, "I, Loki, Prince of Adgar, Asgard, Odin's son, the rightful king of Jotunheim, god of mischief, do hereby pledge to you my undying fealty." He calls himself Odinson in that, you know post Odin calling him his son, post everything that happens in Ragnarok, stuff like that. So to put him here, I know it's a different part in his timeline, but to call him Laufison, I thought that was such an interesting choice. I don't know. Am I thinking too much? Am I reading too much into it? What do you think? I don't know about the dead name thing. No, no, no. I mean, I know you didn't mean anything by that. I don't. I I don't. Uh, But I think it's like, I would say, if I'm picking up what you're trying to say, that it would be kind of like calling Sting Gordon. Sure, that's better. Right, that's way like, better. <laughs> hey, analogy. Gordy, you know, yeah. like like people assume another identity and move forward in life, and like if you were to be like, oh, you're not, you know, you're not some some badass. You're just this dork I used to know in middle school. Like by calling him Loki Lalfason, like it just it just sounds like the kid down the street, you know, <laughs> like not not some trickster uh, villain who has. Uh, fractured time and space repeatedly and caused all this anguish like so i i think that's what you mean right that's is that what i'm a way better example i regret my earlier decision (laughs) and there's a similar um there's a similar moment in uh, i don't know if you watched any of halston the like um limited series that they did with uh ian mcgregor who played the designer halston who who called himself halston um but had like a really boring first name and i don't remember what it is and at the very end like in a in in an attempt to needle him, these like suits are calling him by his like midwestern name and not hey, Bob, calling him yeah. Austin, right? No, I think yeah. What you're talking about here is the notion that you grow up and you assert your own identity in some way, and that happens in a lot of different capacities mm-hmm. in entertainment, in personal relationships, uh, and uh, in, you know, in just for ourselves, just saying, who am I? What do I want to be known as? What do I want to be called? And um, yeah, this is kind of like throwing it back in his face that this is actually who you are. You know, that doesn't matter how much time has passed because to the TVA, what is time? Time is just a reel that they have stored on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so you're not like all that you've been through doesn't count. That's what I felt like that use of the name. Everything that, you know, defines who you are still Loki Lofts. And it, I was asking Tom sort of like what his, what if there was like a moment from the films that he felt like was most core to Loki's identity, his understanding of the character. And to him, he said it was the scene in, in the first Thor film where in the in the in the treasure in Odin's vault uh, where he confronts Odin about his identity. And he says, what am I, you know, to Odin when he's trying when and that's when he founds out finds out about laufi's son is something that he says right but he says like what am i and then he says something like i'm the monster and all this sort of stuff like that so like that this show is so much about loki's identity 
also that idea that like one of his most common phrases that he says is like burdened with glorious purpose, something that he sort of scoffs at at the end by the end of this mm-hmm. episode, but like burdened with glorious purpose. Like what a what an interesting cluster of ideas in mm-hmm. in in those words there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is. So heavy is the head that wears the crown, especially <laughs> exactly. Loki's crown because it's two gigantic like tusks that stick true. out it's five true. feet. So that is a heavy crown. That's true. It's very true. <laughs> Literally. Uh, <laughs> all right. So um, you said what is time to the TVA? Time is just a reel and a shelf. Um, these are these are folks who can just like pop in a time anytime they want and and pull something out and maybe enjoy it. So. Uh, Anthony Bresikin, what was your favorite little uh, anachronistic artifact item that you saw in this episode? Okay, so we, when I was watching it, I, I, to the listeners, I texted Joanna, and I'm like, he's drinking Josta! Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I was, I noticed that they were just very, like, uh, the, the cans uh, that Mobius were, was drinking from were just very prominently placed on mm-hmm. the table. And I'm like, ooh, do they have brands in the TVA? It's outside space and time, but is it outside of branding? <laughs> and uh, and then I was like, Jasta. I thought at first it was Shasta. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, oh, wait, no, that's not Shasta. It's Jasta. I'm like, what was Jasta? And it turns out to be this, like, obscure soda from the 90s that was like only around for a couple of years and i just my all of my synapses fired i just loved the notion that that one of the perks of being a drone and unperson in the tva is that you can sample random crap from whatever you know that may be completely uh gone like i expected at one point for them to all like kick kick back and take a break after work and uh, throw back a Billy beer, you know? <laughs> like it's what about just... some Crystal Pepsi? <laughs> or Crystal Pepsi. But Josta is, Josta is like right up there with Crystal Pepsi, like the thing that existed once and had a big push and no longer does. And as we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think, you know, objects, uh, anachronistic objects become clues mm. as the story progresses. And so... Uh, Josta actually serves a purpose in addition to just being a funny little like 90s era Easter egg. But like, oh, yeah, when you're hop skipping through time, you might leave a trail and those that trail might be, oh, this is something from a different time. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can go there and catch you. Oh, I like it. All right. um, Let us talk about the Kang of it all. We talked about this a little bit on our preview episode, this idea Mm -hmm. that like maybe we meet these. we, We don't meet them. Uh, significantly we are become aware of these three timekeepers we see their their stony visages all over the place in this yeah. in this uh Creepy. tva can you imagine having those three guys behind you and uh and bought the raw's office like they're like god guys back off <laughs> talk about your boss imagine if our editors we had like three statues of our editors behind us at all times like that. <laughs> just Jeff, Katie, and Hillary looking over our shoulders. Yeah. Uh, that'd be really funny. Um, so in the comics, these timekeepers are known as Ast, Vort, Xanth. Great, great future names. Love that. Uh, they don't. They are not named here yet, and there might be a reason why. Um, well, the guy in the middle looks like Kang the Conqueror. That's what. He? That's what we kind of think. Maybe um, Kang the Conqueror is not one of the timekeepers in the comics, but that doesn't mean he's not one of the timekeepers here. And we should say that, um, in that cartoon, uh, sort of exposition dump that we get from Miss mm-hmm. Minutes, 
they they show an animated version of the timekeepers and there's one that has a blue face um it doesn't look like any of the timekeepers look in the comics and so i think that one might be king the conqueror and and the reason we say looks like is because we know the actor who's playing king the conqueror in ant-man 3 which is jonathan majors um what do you Fantastic. know okay. and it, it kind of looks like his face but it's hard to tell because you know sculpted sharp oh yeah, angle. yeah a lot yeah. of it's art deco but but i'm like yeah it kind of looks like him you know it, it could be could him be. Is, could be is, and then when you see the animated thing and you see it looks a lot like kang yeah like yeah i think so and also i think as we know and we've said before marvel plays with uh the comic storytelling like that the comic books are kind of its r&d lab and then they take that and yeah uh, expand it or change it a little mm-hmm. more the nexus didn't don't they describe the nexus as like sort of this is what happens if too many there like the nexus is when there are too many timelines uh when someone steps off the timeline of variant they create a nexus event which if left unchecked could branch off into madness yeah and that's an important word too since Mm -hmm. we have dr strange in the multiverse of madness so i think what we're gonna see is this uh that all the good good work of the hard-working individuals of the tva is is uh they're not going to be able to stop this branching of timeline and if you're in the three timekeepers, now they were leaders of a civilization or civilizations that were at war with each other, right? So mm, let's say Kang decides he's going to usurp this uh, triumvirate and uh, take the power for himself. Maybe. I mean, of- yeah, it's 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 interesting to, to wonder. And it, it does, uh, Richard brought this up in the first half, but it does remind me a lot of Doctor Who. There's like... In Doctor Who, there's this like time war, and there are these time lords and all this sort of stuff like that, and they make a lot of rules about like what what can happen in 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 the time yeah. stream and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, putting Kang in there is sort of interesting and could provide some nice connective tissue as we roll forward to Ant Man. Uh, we mentioned another reason. I mean, I don't know how many people listened to the preview episode, so I'm just going to repeat myself. We mentioned another connection is that in the comics, Kang. Uh, is in love with a character named Ravana Renslayer, which is the name of the character uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra is playing. So um, that uh, mm. that could be a, could be a connection going forward. Um, will we see Jonathan Majors in the show? I'm not ready to say that. Yes, but I'm not ready to say that. But maybe it could happen at the end, final episode. Who knows? Well, um, that would be cool. Now, is he going to turn up in uh, Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange movie, or just Ant Man? I know there was casting announced. He's confirmed like a- for Ant Man. He might be a Multiverse of Madness. I don't know. Um, but Kang is this like time time travel is a big thing for Kang, a uh, big villain. He's shown up as a kid, uh, a kid named Iron Lad. Um, he's you know he, he's he's a he's an interesting fella, Kang the Conqueror, and um, I'm really excited because you know. I'm on record as being a huge Jonathan Majors fan, so I'm excited for all yeah, of that. Same. Great. I mean, and like, I think what's so interesting about that is that I, I may have also said this in the previous episode, but I think of Jonathan Majors as like, he's caught um, just such like leading man charm and like, like heroic sensibilities. He's so, he's so great on screen. He has like, just in the same way that you like, like people like maybe Harrison Ford have it, right? Like you're just like, you're so good looking and there's still something vulnerable and charming about you and you're such a good guy. And when Harrison Ford plays bad, like in Mosquito Coast 
or in something like What Lies Beneath. Like, he hasn't done that a lot. Usually he's the hero. But seeing somebody who has that just sort of innate goodness surrounding them to play a villainous character is a really good combination. So I'm hoping that that makes Kang very, very evil and despicable, but also very <laughs> magnetic. So uh, I, here's to the, I could, I, I, the more they tease this character, I think it sounds even better than it looks in the comics. Like you look at him in the comics and you're kind of like, all right, Kang. Are you angry because you never got out of your pajamas this morning? <laughs> <laughs> or what is it? What's driving you? And if yeah. you, you know, and and as we've all, we've also said before, uh, one of the great things about Marvel storytelling is that they they know that the audience will care about a character who cares about someone else. So the fact that he has this relationship with uh, Gugu's character, that or if that's explored in in the in the Mm-hmm. The, the TV show or in the movies, and let's say you know she's in peril or something happens to her or she makes a choice that causes a fracture with him. Like, uh, that's that's a, a great ingredient for a villain, you know, a lost love or somebody yeah. betrayal, you know. So you know, I think they've they've realized that you ca- that you have strong characters when those characters care about other people, even if they're villains. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. That one of my favorite notes that you've planted in my head that I'm always thinking about now. Um, I, I think I can say this. I think I can. <laughs> I had a conversation with Jonathan about playing Kang, I like a nice little chunky little conversation that we actually had to cut out of a little gold men episode that came out a couple weeks or a couple months ago because, um, you know, the powers that be at Marvel didn't want him talking about it at all. So I can't talk about what he said. Uh, we, that conversation will happen again in the future when, everyone feels more comfortable talking about it, but um, uh, uh, I'm really, based on what he said and what uh, prep he was doing, I'm very excited for what he's going to do with his character. So mm, the Kang of it all. Insider trading. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, well, Stay tuned. I hope I'm on the right track with that, but uh, you'll have to tell no, me. No, I, I think, I think, I think, I mean, uh, nothing you said makes me feel like, you're on the wrong track, I guess. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't give me any big plot details. It was just. It was just Marvel being, you know, overly cautious about not wanting a single thing to come out. Okay. Um. Mm. Speaking of which, I had this like really dumb thought that I thought I'd share with you, which is that you know how they talk. Like it used to be when they talked about Marvel Studios, they would talk about Kevin Feige as the head of Marvel Studios. But more recently, I think as they've taken on this TV empire and stuff like that, they talk about it as a triumvirate of like Kevin Feige. Victoria Alonso and Lou Desposito, who those two have been there from the beginning, along with Kevin. And they're sort of, I think they've been sort of elevated to this tribal council of three to handle the massive influx of work that they've given themselves by doing so much more than they used to do. Um, And so I was like, oh, are the timekeepers kind of, you know, because they were like, once upon a time, there were all these conflicting continuities and the timekeepers put them together in one smooth sacred timeline and that's like it reminds me of like all the various marvel movies that used to be licensed out to various studios and now they're just trying to harness it all back here come the fantastic four back in here comes spider-man here comes x-men we're gonna wrangle it all into the sacred timeline so i just thought i'd share that dumb thought that i had with you Hmm. (laughs) not i don't think it's intentional i just think it's funny in my own head yeah i think it's grounding you know (laughs) important um Especially with time, when you're talking about time, it's like, where's everybody else at this point? So yeah. it's like nice to have a little marker of like, oh, we were doing this, I was doing that. So Well, and it's interesting because this this show takes place out of time. 
right? The TVA yeah. is a is a is an institution out of time, and they're hopping all around various points in the timeline. But like, if we're talking about Nexus events, and we're talking about all this stuff, and we know that Nexus is a concept that showed up in WandaVision, like, and Loki was snapped out. Uh, I don't know. In the midst, of, it's it's out of time, but in a certain way, it also is kind of before WandaVision because WandaVision was just a couple months after Endgame. It's really it's mostly out of time. But if I had to place it on a board somewhere, actually, no, the, it would the pin would be off the board. Okay, never mind. Moving on. Um, no, but I think this you you bring up an interesting point. Yeah, uh, you, I don't want you to you want to flee from it. That's okay. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> but um. You know, one of the challenges I think they had is that so much of their storytelling was right on top of each other, but the movies themselves were spread out over a number of years. And I think they reached a point where they're like, all right, we've got to like fast forward five years. And that the snap kind of allowed them to do that, you know, just to catch up with the present day. Otherwise, we're going to keep we're going to be telling stories from 2015 and it's 2021. So sometimes you got to like hit the little. Uh, glowing star from Mario Brothers, and just go fast, and, go, <laughs> and you know, and break out of that rigid timeline that's locked very tightly to our own. You know, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Like you mentioned them being out of time, mm-hmm. and like o- outside of time, and it reminds me. There's a really good Elvis Costello song called "Man Out of Time," and the opening lyrics are: "So this is where he came to hide." When he ran from you in a private detective's overcoat, uh, in dirty dead man's shoes, and uh, I don't know how much of the rest of this song would correspond to it, but just that idea of like, this is where he came to hide, mm. kind of relates to the Loki that they're chasing, um, and that if you are committing atrocities, uh, that this outside place is a is a good home base or a good place to. To, to hide out and, and and lay low and plot your next move, um, because you could do it as long as you want, because you're not you're not aging, clock's not spinning forward yet. You're <laughs> able to yeah. Um, I, maybe I'm going, maybe I'm plunging head over heels down my own rabbit hole here. But like, listen, rabbit holes are encouraged on still watching Loki. Yeah, we live for the rabbit holes. Um, to bring it back to like a, a timeline we can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's funny when Loki says. Uh, listen, it's been a long day, and you remember that this is the same day that the Hulk like tossed him around like a rag doll and called him a puny god. Like yeah, that's yeah. the same day for Loki. So it's been a truly has been a long day. Um, okay, Anthony, if you're like me, you often think about what it meant for Steve Rogers to to uh, to exit the time stream in Endgame and choose a happily ever after with with Peggy. Um, I think about this all the time and try to make it make sense. Um, this is this is a mess left for Michael Waldron and his writers to clean up. So what does this description of a sacred timeline and branching realities and all this sort of stuff, what how does it inform your understanding of what happened when Steve Rogers left the timeline to loop back and be with Peggy? Yeah, I'm wondering about that because like is he a variant? Right in that long ago time, um, it's been a long, long time. Having that dance, like, are the uh, TVA going to pop into his living room and uh, set off one of their charges? <laughs> Prune him. I mean, that's my question. Is I don't, I I rewatched this episode a couple times, and I don't think I have a satisfying answer because it feels like it feels like they don't prune all branches. No, and they do have that line. 
where he says, uh, I don't know if this is the first or second episode. We've seen both, so I hope I'm not scrambling them. But there is a question of like, well, why aren't you going after the Avengers? They're the ones hopping oh, yeah. around through time stealing. That's in this episode, yeah. Infinity Stones. Yeah. And they, I forget who it says. It's, who says it's it, Renslayer but, who says it, yeah. Yeah. Like, that was supposed to happen. Yeah. So if if Steve is supposed to go back and start his life over with Peggy, then it's okay. Right. But is that the sacred timeline? Did he did he run along the sacred timeline or did he create a branch that was so non-threatening to the uh, foundation of the sacred timeline that they were like, eh, let him have it. Let him have that little twig of a life. And if so, if he created a branch, can Steve then hop from, how does he get back to the lake with the shield for, like, can he hop branches? If anyone well, could do it, maybe Steve Rogers could, but I don't, I don't know the answer to, to that. To stick with the metaphor of branching. Okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes, I don't know if anybody out there is into horticulture, <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, like how a, a tr- and I don't know that, I'm, I'm not into it enough to know the technical terms for, for these things, but sometimes a branch, a tree trunk will like swallow a branch. You know, mm-hmm. so I kind of think what Steve did is that is that, yes, he went back and he branched, but then kind of wove back into the sacred timeline, too. Like, um, so it's like a little time, loop, like a little just a little knot, <laughs> a little knot on the top of the sacred timeline. Anyway, if you guys have better ideas, also, we accept any charts and graphs. I'm a big fan of charts and graphs when it comes to time travel. You can yeah. email us still watching pot at com. Your understanding of, of what this description of the time, sacred timeline and its many branches means to Steve Rogers. I, I will say in 20 years of talking to writers and filmmakers and directors that the uh, overriding rule when it comes to time travel mm-hmm. is what do you need to happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay, now how do you create a rule that justifies it? Yeah. So. You know, we're not here. We're not Stephen Hawking here. We're gonna. We're not. We're not, we're not accepting any algorithms or uh, any kind of. Uh, no, I mean, I'll take your algorithms. I may not read your algorithm on air, but I will take your yeah. algorithmic <laughs> like, email. Please, <laughs> but like, you know, we're not trying to prove that this is actually possible. But just what's the logic? Yeah. Like, okay, if why does this get pruned, but that doesn't? Right. And um, you know, I think. If they can get away with having to deal with Steve Rogers, they will. They'll avoid it. But if they have to deal with that, then I think we'll get an explanation at some point. Sounds good. Um, it reminds me of like "Thank You for Smoking" when uh, when he uh, Rob Lowe is trying to convince uh, Aaron Eckhart that like we should put smoking in the space movie. He's like, "But is it okay to save? Is it okay to smoke in outer space?" And he's like, yeah, we'll just add a line. You know, thank God we invented the whatever device. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the approach to to time travel that uh, writers and directors have to take. Thank goodness we invented the whatever device that allows that to be okay. But it's sort of like along the lines of a wizard did it, right? <laughs> a wizard did it. I will give, I'll give Waldron and his writers this credit, though, is that they were like, in, in creating this world where there's a sacred timeline and there are timekeepers that decide what belongs on the sacred timeline and what doesn't. Um, they interject in this episode and probably in many episodes going forward, this idea of free will and determinism, like then are all of our decisions pre-planned for us? 
like what's going on here. Loki's asking about approval or disapproval from the timekeepers. And Mobius says, don't think of it that way. But like, how else are we supposed to think about it? And again, you know, Loki, Loki isn't quite himself able to make this connection, but the connection is there for the audience to make where he talks about when he talks about wanting to rule and wanting to conquer. And he says, um, what does he say? Uh, the first and most oppressive lie was the song of freedom. Choice brings shame and uncertainty and regret to nearly every living thing. Um, like he would have made it easy for his subjects by removing choice from them. But he believes he, Loki, god of mischief, is exempt from that control. And to find that, find out that he is, in turn, having his life dictated by these three space lizards, as he calls them, um, is an interesting thing for Loki to have to grapple with. You know? Why does he call them space lizards? Because they didn't look very lizard-like. A couple of them did. <laughs> there's some green scaliness uh, happening. Not on Kang. He's blue. But, like, you know, there's there's hmm. some green scaliness happening. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the question is, and I and I have this question, you know, I've been, I've been doing this podcast about the TV show Lost, and there's a time travel season of Lost, which I love, but this phrase that they say a lot in the time travel season of Lost is, whatever happened, happened. And my question around that was always like, does that uninterestingly remove agency from our characters if whatever happened happened is the answer to not, you know, fuck, fuck, excuse my language, fucking up the time, the continuity of, of the timeline here. And, um, you know, because in Back to the Future, you know, if you do something, you wake up and Maybe, you know, your dad's a best-selling sci-fi writer. You know what I mean? It's not whatever happened, happened in Back to the Future. But, and it's not well, whatever more- happened, happened here. But it's like, if if what you do is steps on the butterfly that would change the language, you're going to get pruned. You know what I mean? It's, they're trying to have it, it feels like trying to have it both ways, you know? It is. It's kind of a mind bender because I think that's where the term branching comes from is that you're not replacing, you're mm-hmm. not changing, you're just breaking off or taking right. a left turn or a right turn. Right. And so whatever happened, happened is continuing in that other timeline, but now other happenings are happening <laughs> in this <laughs> current <laughs> one we are. Uh, the question is what's happening and what's happening now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting because in that, in that, uh, little cartoon that little like mr dna from jurassic park cartoon that we get with miss minutes here oh i'm so glad you brought that up because they even have the same kind of southern twang oh yeah i'm not sure what the accent is but like like folksy yeah uh, dano dna um uh-huh. yeah it's uh did you see the in the credits that's tara strong the great voice actress tara strong yeah. doing miss minutes mm-hmm. um anyway uh yeah definitely an overt dino dna <laughs> moment happening here mr dna um but in 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 her narration there um you know she says long ago countless timelines battle like long ago what does long ago mean to an agency out of time that's my like what is when is long ago and so and the reason i ask that question is not to be nitpicky but to ask when they when she says long ago Countless timelines battled each other for supremacy, nearly resulting in the total destruction of, well, everything. Is that actually the future? And is that the multiverse of madness? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, is the thing she's describing actually the MCU's future? Mm. That's another mind bender. Um, I 
didn't take it that way. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying maybe I'm not saying you're I'm right. right. <laughs> I'm just saying I interpreted it as whatever was pre Big Bang, and then the Big Bang was like, okay, now we're on one timeline. Like we're mm-hmm. that's like unification time. So I took it as when they said long ago that that like basically. But you're saying long time, ago you know. from 2021. But like, what's long? Who who programmed Miss Minutes and when? When was long ago for this? creation of this cartoon do you Good know question i don't know yeah so i don't know if the if if what we saw in that preamble was the multiverse of madness or the quantum mania of ant-man 3 or something like that do you know i don't know so but it seems seems like a possibility they use the word madness um you know intentionally i think uh mm-hmm. to get us thinking about that sort of stuff um all right do you have anything else you want to talk about before i get to my my big theory that you're that you're gonna like tell me is wrong no i i do want to say and i brought this up in the last episode too uh more than ever i'm reminded of defending your life the albert brooks film Mm -hmm. right down to the way mobius sort of conducts himself in casual what we would consider just normal human behaviors like eating hanging out like uh, Rip Torn played like the lawyer for mm-hmm. Albert Brooks's soul in that movie, and the whole thing is like examining your whole life, and it has a very bureaucratic feel to it. You know, just buy the book. We're gonna put on the reel. We're gonna look at your life. This is what's happened, and um, and yet, like one time, Rip Torn is eating this very strange looking meal, and Albert Brooks is like, "Oh, I'd like to try that," and then he has like, "Oh, you wouldn't like this," and. And then he, it turns out like he's on such a higher plane that he can enjoy things on a different level and uh, things that like younger souls or less experienced souls like can't do. And it just kind of struck me that way that this, that this movie and uh, that movie and this show seem to have a lot of uh, dino DNA <laughs> that they share. And, uh, uh, what I find most interesting about it now, this isn't really a theory, but just more of a thematic thing, is that it's this is your life for Loki. Um, I, you know, I, I know I brought up uh, Elvis Costello, but I'm going to go back to another like 70s era uh, rockers. Although I think this was from the 80s. Pink Floyd had an album called The Final Cut, and there's a song on there uh, that goes, uh, They flutter behind you, your possible path. Some bright-eyed and crazy, some frightened and lost. And I think this is a chance for Loki to have a, you know, not not just a this is your life moment, but like this this was your lives. Like this was all the possibilities for how things could have gone for you. And you are in this particular thread of them. You know, you inhabit this version of Loki. And I think ultimately it's going to make him see that he is special, that he is different. There is something about him that's not, uh, he's not good and he's not bad, but he's been pretty bad. (laughs) So I'm really interested in the notion of a character reckoning with his possible past, who he could have been, who he could have, how things could have gone way worse or even way better for him. And yet finding some sort of, homeostasis in there like finding some peace and equanimity in the notion of who you are so that's what i'm really interested in 
Uh, I know that sounds really lofty. No, not at all. uh, No, no, no. I think it's exactly the premise of the show. I don't think it sounds mm -hmm. lofty at all. This is the show. And like the fact that, you know, we talked about this in in our preview episode, but like the fact that the comic that Waldron was most interested in was this kid Loki journey into mystery comic Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't not just not because there's a literal kid Loki in the show that there may be, um, but that, that's a that's a reincarnation of loki and that's a loki asking himself who am i can i be good can i be trustworthy and and i think the answer that he finds is that there's like it's sort of similar to like what we see in infinity war which is like loki trying to use his you know he's he's barely in infinity war right but like in, in his few moments of infinity war he's using his skill with deception for good is what he's trying to do what he fails to do but what he's trying to do Mm -hmm. right where he goes up and he's like oh mighty thanos my undying loyalty meanwhile the dagger materializes in his hand and he tries to go for the kill right so that's not loki being like an angel that's loki being like i'm the god of lies i'm the god of mischief but i'm Mm -hmm. gonna do this to try to save my people save my brother save every you know like all this other stuff so Mm -hmm. and uh, i think I just think it's it's just an interesting idea, yeah. a little philosophical thing. And I think people in general do this. My wife and I do it all the time. Like, what if I hadn't met you at that party when we were 18? Mm-hmm. Like, if I, what if I'd skipped that? Like, how would one incident have changed everything for me? And I think almost everybody could, if you actually think back to your life, there really are dramatic turning points that you don't always see at the time, but later look back and go, oh, my God, if I had gone to this school instead of that school. Uh, I would have been a very different person or if I, you know, uh, hadn't met this one person or hadn't had this one teacher, your whole life can be diverted by one instant. And um, I find that really curious. For, as a, And I think time travel is an interesting way and multi-dimensions is an interesting way to explore this very real human thing. I mean, are there multiverses? I don't know. We'll have to wait for our listeners' algorithms to decide for sure. But <laughs> I think there's definitely choices to be made. Yeah. And uh and I think this is a show that's about choices. And I mean and that's that's um that's something that Waldron said as well, right? Is that that's like that's the advantage of a time travel story is you can meet yourself on a timeline. Or, you know, he used the case of Back to the Future, mm-hmm. Marty meeting his parents, right? But like and Mar- Marty meeting his parents helps him understand himself better. So like, right. but in, in the case of Loki, Loki, because especially in the comics, canonically, there are multiple kinds of Lokis. Loki can meet versions of himself and, and that could help him understand who this variant of Loki really is, you know? Yeah. And, but we meet ourselves all the time in memory. If you think about our memories, they're the TVA. Listen, right? if we're evolved, we meet ourselves all the time <laughs> Some of us choose to lock those things away and not confront them, but I think that's what like some of it's hard to face. Yeah, yeah. But, that's, that's... but our memories are like the TVA. Like it's a, it's like you've got this. It might be faulty. It might be a damaged reel, but like <laughs> you, you do have this record in your own head of everything you've ever gone through. And I think one of the things that I've noticed about getting older, I'm in my early forties, uh, is is you get a bit of like times change and you change. Not just like when you're when you're 20, yeah, you change a lot because you've doubled in size, like from 
over 10 years and you've, you know, uh, had new experiences and new freedoms yeah. thrust upon you. And yet I think when you live double that time, you go, oh, wow, I really am like different. I believe different things. I say different things. I have different friends. I look different. I think, you know, reckoning with your past and who you are and trying to be better or trying to bury that and not confront it at all. That's a choice too, right? Um, is, uh, that's the TVA, right? You can go, you can go harvest your file and, uh, at any time it's right there, <laughs> you know, beware. It's, harvesting your file is like, it's like, that's how I'm, that's my new way of telling people to go to therapy. Go harvest your file. Go to yeah. therapy. <laughs> Go, go Just spend put it some back time. in the right spot because you don't want to lose that. <laughs> go spend some time in Time Theater Number Five and really go back over that that file and see how you feel. Um, all right, this brings us to my my wild theory here. So this idea that like okay, in in the first moments of the episode, we are taken to the Endgame moment, the Avengers Endgame moment, where I mean it's an Avengers movie but also avengers endgame moment where loki steps out of the timeline right 2012's avengers battle of new york etc and we have this moment where loki turns into steve rogers to imitate steve rogers right so we mm -hmm. know that like illusion magic shape-shifting these are the hallmarks of loki's magic right is like shape-shifting and illusion stuff like that 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 being there not not only helps us those people who can't remember Endgame that well or maybe didn't watch it understand where Loki hopped out of the timeline but like seeing him turn to Steve Rogers has me on high alert to be like are they going to try to smuggle a Loki in that we don't know is a Loki do you know what I mean if we're dealing with multiple Loki sending smuggle a oh there's a Loki in the timeline there's a Loki in the show that we don't know is a Loki question mark oh. so my main candidate right now is owen wilson is yeah, owen wilson say. a secret loki that's the question i want to ask is mobius actually a loki um some things that Tom Hiddleston said to me in that interview sort of got my gears turning on that because he was talking about Mobius and Loki as sort of mirroring each other. You know, because like what what Waldron said about um, Catch Me If You Can made me think of like Mobius in the Tom Hanks role and, and Loki in the Leonardo DiCaprio role. And that seemed pretty natural to me. And that to me feels like a paternal sort of avuncular uh, avuncular is, of course, the very erudite British word that Tom Hiddleston used, but like uh, a paternal or, or avuncular sort of figure, right? But like, then he wanted to talk about it and he was talking a little bit more, you know, there's that moment where Loki says, you know, I'm smart. And Mobius says, I know you are. And uh, that moment just stops me dead every time because on the one hand, it sort of feels like everything you want to hear from a father figure, right? Like you're de you, you've been desperate for approval your whole life. And you finally, here's a, here's a slightly older than you, not that much older than you, man saying to you, I know you're smart. Like, of course you are. <laughs> like, you don't have to prove that to me. I know. Uh, and so that there's that angle of it. But what if it's just sort of like, yeah, as another Loki, I know you're smart. You're Loki. So of course you're smart. I'm Loki too. I get it. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, once again, question mark. I don't know. He also knows when he's... BSing. Uh huh. And so, uh, okay. And so, and, I, like and, and, I like it. And so Loki's like, I forget what, what he says to inspire this, but Mobius, Mobius says, even when you're wooing someone powerful, you intend to betray. 
is something he says about Loki's demeanor, which made me think of this line that Mobius has when he's talking to uh, Judge Renslayer in the courtroom when he goes, I feel like I'm always looking up to you. I like it. It's appropriate. And it's given this like beautiful Owen Wilson delivery. It's funny. It's sort of Owen Wilson-y, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, isn't that just exactly the kind of like unctuous suck up thing that uh, Loki might say to someone he's trying to manipulate? Like, isn't it? Um, so, and, and, and in terms of like clues, timeline clues, like why is Mobius so interested in Josta Soda? Is this a Loki who stepped out of 1990 or something like that? Like when was Josta Soda popular? I don't know. Well, but, like, is this... a, he reveals another obsession in a second episode, which I guess we'll get into. Yeah, there, I can't talk but, about uh, that yet, but that's, but oh, he that's does, what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I will say he has a very Little Mermaid style fascination with objects from the world they're not a part of mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so he's not really twirling his hair with a fork or calling something a flugelhorn but like i think there's just an interesting what's interesting is that objects in um in our world that have very little value have a lot of value to people in the tva and objects here that are you know beyond priceless like infinity stones are just stuff in a junk drawer you know? Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. They're marbles. Exactly. And I think there's a metaphor in that, too, if we're going to get deep and melancholy. <laughs> like, like it's sort of like when I look back, when I look into the box I have of things that are precious to me, like, you could break into my house and steal it. It is worth absolutely nothing to you. Like, it's literally just like it would look like a box of junk. But each thing in there has a little piece of memory for me. Mm-hmm. And I think like maybe these are little bits of memories or happy experiences that they carry with them and that those things are precious, but infinity stones or priceless gems or money, things like that, you know, they just don't mean as much when you get right down to it. So anyway. No, it's true. It's true. And it's a, it's a really interesting reorienting of, of what's, what's powerful. (laughs) I talked to Richard about this a little bit, but like, well, you know, Waldron said something about like, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Thanos? Like how, how do you make a a Marvel struggle feel big after infinity war? And it's make the infinity Stones small. That's how you do it. You know what I mean? That's so here's a, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. All right. So I just thought of something. Potentially stupid. <laughs> but maybe, that's that's maybe our tagline. The tagline of the TVA is for all for all time always. Our tagline here at Still Watching Loki is potentially something stupid. Let's hear so, it. So I'm gonna I have to start with a little personal anecdote. I'll make it fast. Okay. But like uh so I'm from as, as some people know, I talk about it a lot. I'm from Pittsburgh. Pittsburghers are very proud of, of their town and uh you know, I've lived away from there for much longer now than I live there so that tether is getting longer and longer and a few years ago i took a trip back and there's a store like a grocery store called giant eagle there and they make these thumbprint cookies and in the 80s and 90s when i was a kid they gave kids little credit cards like things that looked like credit cards so that you could go shopping with your mom or dad and go to the bakery and present this card and they would give you one of these cookies mm-hmm. you know I love it. and it was like awesome <laughs> it was the best thing in the world and uh i i had been away for a few years and i went back and i was at the grocery store you know and i found these chocolate thumbprint cookies with walnuts sprinkled on top 
I bought them and just the smell of them, just the taste of them, like, like was time travel back to yeah. a younger time. And then every time I would visit for a friend's wedding or for a funeral or, you know, whatever the event was, I would like stock up on these things <laughs> and bring them back with me and then like try to save them for it. They'd last a few months. I could put them in the freezer. What if Josta soda is, um, you know, it's tied in a temporal way to the 90s. What yeah. other Marvel property is set in the 90s but Captain Marvel? Mm -hmm. So I wonder, could there be a Marvel Captain Marvel uh, element, like with Mobius, that going to that story mm. in that time and place, could that become a factor? Could, could that become meaningful? And is... And is the Josta soda like like the chocolate thumbprint cookies that are like <laughs> well, that's, that's what I, the yeah. that's what he picks up when he's there, you know? Like that's what I think. Like I think it has to be some sort of exactly what you mean, like chocolate thumbprint cookie. Like I I live a little closer to the bakery where uh I grew up. I live it like about an mm -hmm. hour and a half away, and if I'm ever over there. Um, I will. Yeah, I'll grab it. They're called ice cream cookies, and I'll grab a little ice cream cookie, and it just like tastes like. You know, it, no other cookie tastes like your childhood, like that cookie. You know what I mean? So it's, it yeah. is that thing. And so I'm just wondering, like, is it a fun little Easter egg, like, you know, an Apollo bar sort of like thing mm -hmm. that the soda is here? Or is it actually tied to something like that Mobius uh, ties Mobius to the 90s? I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about this a little more in the next episode because the, uh, he reveals another obsession and he does say it's from the 90s. I'm so. just saying. Um, and, uh, to put a button on all of that, like I said, we're going to try to theorize responsibly this time. So I was trying to think I, when I got excited about this, I was like, okay, think this through. Think this through, Robinson. Don't don't get yourself twisted. All right. So let's think about this. The last two Marvel shows have had a villain hiding in plain sight in Agatha and WandaVision and um, Sharon in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Right. So like is are they going three for three or have they done it twice and they're not going to do it a third time? That's the question. Also, the last two shows had female villains, something that Marvel is sort of like making up for lost time, being like, see, women can be evil too. Um, <laughs> How uh, progressive. <laughs> uh, real yeah, real see, feminist. Say women are evil. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so are they going to, yeah. uh, you know, are they going to want to try to make the villain uh, a dude this time? I, you know, instead, like, it, because my idea is like, Joe, if, if Joe, Mobius. Are we asking are we asking questions that we already know the answers to? No, no, I'm not. I'm genuinely not. I think that, like, I think that uh, this, is, this isn't this uh, is episode two spoilers. This is, like, genuinely, like, mm. is... Who's the ultimate villain? Who's the villain here? If Mobius is a, a hidden Loki, if he is, if he is, big if, if he is, what is he doing there? What's his goal? Like if the time variance authority is the you know because he was he was interrogating our Loki, our Tom mm. Hiddleston Loki, Loki Lifeson about what do you want? What do you want from there? You want to rule? You want to rule all space? What do you want to do? What are you doing? What are you? Where are you running, Loki? What are you doing? What's your goal? And if if the Infinity Stones are marbles to the TVA, isn't that a lofty thing? Lofty uh, aim for a Loki to take control of the TVA, to be in mm. control of all of time i don't know a bigger bigger than infinity stone uh -huh. yeah uh also the name mobius we talked about this in mm -hmm. the previous episode you know the mobius strip is a single object with two sides mm -hmm. or 
I'm describing that badly. It's it's an object with only one side, but appears to have two. It's mm-hmm. twisted. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one continuous, mm-hmm. it's one continuity. And so is that what Mobius and our prime, well, let's call him Loki Prime, sure. right? Like, he has uh, a number. I did write it down, but I like like calling him Loki Prime. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I'm stealing that from the show Counterpart, uh, which was a, another <laughs> great alternate dimension show. He's uh, L1130. That's his technical term, but I like Prime. We can call him Loki Prime. He's our Loki Prime, the prime of our hearts. Yeah. If you uh, still watching pot at gmail.com, if you have any number theories around 1130, um, he says this thing. He, when Mobius sort of zips Loki back into his chair and he says, back in your cage, right? And then he says, I can play the heavy keys too. And I was like, and that's what he said. I rewound it so many times. I haven't, we don't get closed captioning on our screener. So I didn't watch it with closed captioning, but I rewound it a bunch of times to make sure that's what he said. He did. Yeah, I remember that. But I was like, that's not a phrase I know. Like I I Googled it. I was like, is this like a piano thing? Like I can play the heavy keys. Like I can, I can play the heavy, which is the villain, right? The heavy keys. I don't know what that means. And I was like, did he say heavy Loki? No, he said heavy keys too. So I, I don't know if that's some sort of like, <laughs> I'm the, I don't know. I, I, I'm i stuck on it. I'm the villain. Uh, I'm the heavy Loki. I don't know. I don't know. Question mark. I thought I took it. I interpreted that as I can be dramatic too. Like, cause Loki was being very capital letters. Totally. But I, it, that phrase did stand out to me. I'm glad you mentioned it cuz I was like, "Oh, that just must be an idiom that I don't That's know." That's what I but, thought. Uh, and I googled it and I didn't find anything. And if you guys There is nothing. You're right. Yeah. Play the heavy keys. I can play the heavy keys too. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So anyway, maybe it's a 90s phrase that has gone out of style. I don't know. Um, yeah, like <laughs> you remember that New York Times thing where they called uh, the record company in Seattle to find out about new slang and some like uh <laughs> person who answered the phone like a like an operator just said oh i can tell you all that and then she proceeded to just make up a bunch of <laughs> terms and the new york times ran it it's like this is what the kids are saying <laughs> like for grunge slang or something like that yeah it was like harsh realm means this <laughs> and uh you know oh, she's a hero all of it was fabricated hero love that um all right well i mean i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna be sticking fast to this theory for a little while i'll tell you that much right now um Anthony Bresdekin, any anything else you want to talk about in terms of Loki episode one uh, until next week? I think uh, I think it covers it. All right, we did uh, it. We got melancholy. We got uh, potentially stupid. We went down rabbit holes. What more could you ask for in a podcast? We got uh, thumbprint cookies. We've got cic- <laughs> a little bit of cicada talk. Oh, even. I love cicada talk. In there. We got it all. We got it all. <laughs> all right, we so cover you- a lot of ground here. This was a good therapy session, Joe. Thank you. I'm sorry, uh, our time's up. No, you're welcome, but our hour is up. So uh, you can email us, stillwashingpod at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Um, Anthony Breskin, where can folks find you until we're back? I'm writing at vanityfair.com and uh, updating my blog at uh, chocolatethumbprintcookies.net. <laughs> I hope you get like someone sends you a shipment of those cookies. Um, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have epic stories of trying to steal the recipe through bribery and... Uh, uh, misrepresentation. I've done the whole oh. Loki trickster thing to get that recipe. So, uh, Anthony, uh, Bre- are are you a Bresnican oh, yeah. or a Bresnicant? Get that recipe, I, man. I could not get it. One time I <laughs> called and I was like, "Oh, you know, my son ate these and is having a bad reaction." No! <laughs> 
what is the like what are, i know the ingredients are on the package but what are the proportions and they wouldn't tell me oh my god it's the funniest thing <laughs> this I've is after ever trying heard. to buy them for 50 dollars from a bakery employee and she was like the recipe we have will make a thousand cookies. I'm like, I can do division. <laughs> Just give it to me. Oh my god, that's so funny. I do have actually. I worked at a bakery that, like, a a, a bakery near where I grew up uh, in high school, and they closed, and so they let me take all the recipes. You know, it wasn't <gasps> stealing. They let me take all the recipes, but they are all in massive quantities, and yeah, I've never right. properly converted them. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> it's like a truckload of flour. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I guess uh, I don't know how to divide that. Um, all right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find me on Vanity Fair uh, alongside Anthony. And also you can find Richard on Twitter at Rylaws and also on Vanity Fair. Uh, and we will be back with more thoughts and theories <laughs> <laughs> and therapy sessions uh, next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> this variant is insubordinate. Stubborn, unpredictable. You need the god of mischief. Unbelievable. Wherever you go, it's just death, destruction, the literal ends of worlds. Okay. Change. Change. Maybe Loki wants to mix it up. Is that possible? You can change. I am Loki. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. Change. Can't get enough of Bachelor Nation? Enter Betch's hilarious Bachelor recap podcast, The Bachelor. Each week, hosts Kay Brown and me, Jared Freed, recap the latest episodes of The Bachelor and make fun of all the ridiculous things the contestants say and do. Because honestly, why else watch the show if not for the fun commentary? Listeners have called The Bachelor the much-needed humor and commiseration they want after watching the show. Listen to The Bachelor podcast now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast.